Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. I'm joined today by a special guest, Syed Balki from Awesome Motive. You may not know Syed from the name Awesome Motive, but I guarantee you've heard of some or all of his products. He has a SaaS or software as a service called Optin Monster, which a lot of WordPress users and other users use as well. We use it at liftrelms.com. I guarantee you probably at some point uh, entered your email address in an Optin Monster pop-up on the Lyft LMS website. He's also the creator of WP Forms, Enviro Gallery, Soliloquy Slider, and uh, there's an Optin Monster plugin to make Optin Monster awesome on WordPress. So that's kind of in his WordPress ecosystem. And if that wasn't enough, Syed is also the founder of WP Beginner and List25, which are some media sites that have uh, you know all kinds of information around either WordPress or you know List25 gets into all kinds of interesting <laughs> articles <laughs> for uh, entertainment and all that. You've probably come across those at some point on Facebook or somewhere. But first, Syed, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's really an honor to have you here. And I've learned so much from you over the years and even just watching what you do and you know, reading stuff on your sites. I refer people at Lifter LMS sometimes when they have a support question that has nothing to do with Lifter LMS. <laughs> Google search, there's the WP Beginner article at the top. <laughs> I send them right over to that article. And uh, you've really just built <clears throat> a lot of great uh, you know, WordPress products um, the media site there and, and Optin Monster has been a big part of how we uh, grow our email list and just do segmentation, get people what they need when they're looking for it at the right time and also capture traffic that we may not capture otherwise. Um, so yeah, I'm just honored to have you on the show and I'm really honored to introduce you to the course building community here at LMS Cast, people building membership sites and courses that are looking for growth because you're kind of like the growth guy when you touch something it just gets bigger <laughs> and it, uh, <laughs> things just uh tend to improve uh, and you have a lot of strengths and i was gonna uh just kind of pick your brain about a bunch of topics so yeah that's the only thing i'm good at right <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i'm sure you're good a lot good a lot of other things too um well one of the things i just want to talk to you about first in watching you over the years and um, you know meeting you and some of your team um, you're very good at uh, building a team around a project or multiple projects and knowing what you're strong at knowing what where somebody else is a better fit to do that part of the job can you talk a little bit about your transition from beginner solo entrepreneur to team builder uh, and just give us some examples because a lot of people building courses, I see it where they just burn out. They try to wear all these different hats and maybe they're good at teaching, but they're not good at marketing or maybe they're good at marketing, but they don't really have the expertise or they're not good at the technology to put on the internet. How do you build teams? Yeah, so it's an interesting transition. When, you, when you're first starting out, you usually don't have the money to hire somebody to do, your, do the stuff. So you start learning how to do all these things. And you might not be good at everything, but you're okay at just about you know, most things that you need to do. So a lot of times entrepreneurs have a hard time making the transition or even knowing when is the time that you have to hire somebody. Um, over the years, uh, I've, I've like, you know, hired, fired, and kind of failed at hiring. And I think this is still something I'm growing and learning um, and getting better at. So 
you you probably heard the saying, you know, do what you do best and outsource the rest. <laughs> and and that's that's pretty common in the in the online marketing space. So one of the first times that you know that I ventured into outsourcing, I um, I looked at the Philippines. Okay. Um, and, and the one of the first tasks I outsourced was, um, was writing, um, where basically writing research, not just all of writing, but writing research. I figured that I, you know, I can write up articles really, really fast if I have all the right facts. Um, so I basically looked over to Philippines and start hiring virtual assistants, VAs, um, and you pay them, you know, like three, four, 300, 400 to 500 bucks tops max, um, at that time. And, and, you know, they were working for me full time. And they would that's do all. That's per month, right? That's per month. That's, that's yeah. you know, if, if you have a membership site, maybe that's probably cost of one member membership, you know, sold um, in in most cases. So it, it's totally a good investment. And you know, are they going to be as good as you? Likely not. You, you know, if you find one, you should let me know about it so I can hire them off of you. But um, but likely they're not going to be as good as you are. But they will help you do one task. Um, take it off of your playlist because if you don't, uh, if you don't do that, you're going to be burned out and you're going to start hating um, the parts. Basically my philosophy is that, you, you know, what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, um, do that, everything else kind of go on. So with Optin Monster, you know, I, I can write code, but I'm not the best at it. And I, I don't do it very fast. I'm very slow. I have to look up a lot of things and I have to learn a lot of things. So uh, I partnered with uh, my co-founder and CTO, Thomas Griffin, on Optin Monster. And he's really, really phenomenal developer, but he, he's not so good at the marketing piece. So we were complementing each other. So we joined forces, um, created Optin Monster, and then you know, we started hiring. Now, um, you know, we have a pretty good hiring process uh, in place. We, it's a pretty automated process to, to a good extent. You know, we post out to all the different job boards, people apply, you know, we give them like different test projects that are fairly automated. And once, you know, once they've done all the tests, somebody reviews them and see if, based on the responses, who needs to get, who do we want to interview? Um, but, but yeah, and one of the things that in the early days I sucked at was writing down processes. And I think I still, I'm not very good at it. Um, but, you know, slowly getting better is writing everything down to make sure the person that you're hiring is going to succeed at the role that you're hiring them for. Um, and also very clearly defining that role. And when, you, when you're first starting out, you're like, well, uh, you hire a virtual assistant and you're going to like, you know, have them do 1800 other things different things. And it's going to frustrate you and frustrate them because they, they feel like they're not going to be doing their job right. And obviously you're going to know they're not doing their job right. So both of you are frustrated. So really clearly defining what are the, you know, three or five things that you want your system, what you're to do. Um, and just like, you know, have them do that. Maybe even make videos of you showing them how, you know, you would do a certain task. So when you're bringing them on, they can see, oh, okay, this is how, this is how, you know, someone, you say it, does it, I need to do it this way. Um, or they're like, say, I know you do it this way, but I think this might be a better way, which has happened to me a lot, right? Just because I'm doing it a certain way doesn't mean it's the best way, um, of, of doing, doing that. So, so yeah, now, uh, we're 44, 44 people team and <laughs> grown over the years, but I'm so glad that, you know, I've, I've made that leap. A lot of times people are like, well, am I, am I going to be able to pay that person full time? Well, if you can't, then hire them part time. <laughs> Right, that's that's also a thing, uh, might, but like three hundred dollars in Philippines or five hundred dollars in Philippines—that's super cheap, you know. 
you should be able to afford that with your business. And, you know, take, make that transition. It's going to save you time. The more time it saves you, the, you know, the better you're going to get at what you're doing and planning out, um, you know, planning out where you're going, not where you're at, but where do you want to go? Um, how do you grow even further? So it will give you that time. Yeah, those are really good points. I like to say you got to move slow to move fast. And sometimes you have to slow down for a second to create a job description or document a process. Uh, and then you need to hire the right person who's not just going to execute the process, but also has the capability to improve it over time and hopefully do it better than you on day one. So, um, yeah, that's good stuff there. Let me ask you some questions around current day. Mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated with this question. And I see it in course creators too, where some people really stick to like one project, one course, they make it better or like one membership platform. Other people become serial entrepreneurs who like want to just keep doing it. You appear to be a serial entrepreneur. What do you think it is inside of you that makes that serial thing happen? Uh, so... I don't know if you've ever read most success, most good business books will kind of have the similar concept of least sales is the easiest person you can sell to is your existing customers. Right. Um, so, you know, I give complimentary products um, so I can sell to my customers and just about every single one of them came out from user suggestions. They're like, you know, we would love for you guys to build this or, you know, I, I usually do a census every once a year um, with the entire WP beginner community and ask them, Hey, if you could, what are, what are some of the problems you're having? If you could have us build one product, what would it be? Um, and why? Right. And then they will say, well, you know, I, we would, we would love to use a form builder that's actually easy for clients to use, you know, current ones, these are good, but the interface interface sucks. The process is too long and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, okay, that's, that's something we can build. Right. Um, so, or, you know, we would love for something that integrates Google Analytics really, really well. And we're like, well, do we want to build or can we go about and going out and buy one? And we bought Yoast Analytics and, you know, rebranded the Monster Insights. So, so yeah, so like I would say the serial part, I don't necessarily see it as serial entrepreneurship. I see it as like, you know, building complementary products um, for cross-selling and upselling um, to increase the average lifetime value of a, of a user that's on your website um, or is in your community or is in your tribe. Um, so yeah, like I would say I was a serial entrepreneur if I was like, if I had a online business and then, you know, membership side, and then I, I was also running my donut shop and, and a bicycle repair place. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. So for the um, course creator, you know, a lot of the talk these days has to do with high-end program creation where online courses are part of a bigger stack. You've got events, you have masterminds, you have productized services, and you have this whole stack of other things. And maybe that's a, a way to look at it. Just serve your same customer with more offerings to solve their problems and get them more yeah. success. Absolutely. Like, you know, how can you add, how can you add more value? How can you help them accomplish whatever they're trying to accomplish, right? You obviously, if you're in a business, then you're solving a pain point. How can you do it better? A lot of times, you know, I, f I feel that course creators uh, are missing out on an opportunity. They're like, you know, giving it away by, by not doing some of the higher end stuff. You know, let's say if you, have a, if you have a course, why not give, you know, exclusivity to certain people? You know, if they want, if they want to pay to be in a, in a mastermind with you and be able to talk with you, and if that's something you enjoy doing, then that's a great upsell. 
right? Otherwise, your funnel kind of stops, right? If you, 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 let's say you brought them on off of Facebook ads, they join your lead magnet, and then they went on um, to buy your course. Now what? Right? That, that's the dead end of your funnel. Well, you don't have any profit maximizer. You don't have any upsells. You don't have any cross-sells. So you'd never be able to make more money from that one user afterwards, except for what they're paying. You can, you, know, you can say, well, okay, I don't really care about all that. I just want to make sure this user never leaves. Well, that is a reality check. Most people in the membership side will leave. You know, no, nobody stays forever. That's why attrition is a thing. And natural attrition is a thing. So, so yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a really excellent point. Now, speaking of funnels, um, course creators out there, you know, they, they have their course, their paid course, and the generic funnel that we describe that a lot of people start with is they'll do an opt-in um, to get uh, what we call an email mini course, something three to five emails that teaches something, and then at the end, it pitches a free course on the website. The end of the free course teaches a paid course on the website. And then the, at the end of the paid course, you can start building a membership with course bundles and all these different things. That's kind of a basic funnel. And mm-hmm. even that can be overwhelming for some people. But if we just go back to the very top of the funnel of we've got somebody on our website, let's say we, we've created some free blog content around our expertise. Um, how do we best optimize getting people on the top of the funnel and then converting moving them further along from the end of that opt-in? So top of the funnel is is a very interesting dynamics. Most people approach it differently and I I feel kind of in a wrong, they they do it wrong in my opinion. Uh, They have one opt-in and they run it across their entire site because they assume that everybody that comes to their website has a single problem. Well, if that was the case, then you would only have one blog post on your website and not, you know, 30. And that each are talking about usually 30 different things. You're not going to write a 30 different blog post talking about the same thing. That would be stupid. So, so, you know, I think you want to create lead magnets that are relevant to the specific blog post and you can call them content upgrades. That's, that's the word that we use in, within the OptiMonster community, content upgrades, but content upgrades don't just have to be integrated inside your blog post. So with the download now link, you can also use exit intent to have a pop-up but like have a very, very, very targeted lead magnet, um, you will see your conversion go significantly higher. And when the user is signing up for a specific and very targeted lead magnet, you can funnel them down um, to a mini course if that's what, if that's what your lead magnet is. Um, or if, it's, if your lead magnet is just a checklist or a workbook or an ebook, then you can lead them down to, um, to a course. And maybe the maybe there's a middle step in there for a webinar right you know you lead them to a webinar and a webinar sells the course um so so yes that those are those are some of the things you can do um but it start start somewhere a lot of times you know when when you start teaching uh a funnel with all these crazy different steps that people somebody who's new they're like whoa i don't know (laughs) start start at step one right if you don't have a course start start at the top Start building that lead magnet. Start building that list. Then do a pre-launch of, of you know with a course. Then like you know add add a add a add a profit maximizer at the bottom. Maybe add a tripwire like a like a mini course that they can buy um, for like nine dollars or something. So you can so you can like justify spending more money on on paid acquisition by going to Facebook and say you're like okay so these people are paying me nine bucks. So I can 
pay you know Facebook nine bucks to just break even on the tripwire level so that I can um, you know I know the X percentage of the people who buy this nine dollar course are going to buy my you know four hundred dollar course right so you can do the arbitrage there that's awesome the very simple funnel and then and then like you know would go about adding adding whatever else that you want that and make more increase your ARPU. Are ebooks dead? What happened? Are ebooks dead? Um, I I feel that way um, <laughs> to a good extent. Like ma- making making very very large ebooks are dead. Um, but like if if you're making like more easy to consume content in a checklist, even like a workbook, which is like you know like no more than a few pages long, um, like not few pages but like ten point font, few pages with like. 15, 16 point font. That's like easy to consume content with some imagery. That's, that's working. Um, we find that checklists work really, really well. We find that uh, toolkits work really, really well. So, so cheat sheets work really, really well. So those awesome. things work really well. But like making a 80 page ebook or even a 30 page ebook is an overkill. Nobody's going to read your content. So you might as well, you know, save that, save yourself that hassle. Yeah, that can be a sigh of relief for some people if they think they need to write like a 40-page book to get yeah. started. And I know this stuff can be overwhelming if you're just getting started in marketing or building your funnel. But the first thing I tell people to do if they're stuck is just, well, write one blog post. And then, yeah. <laughs> then you can do one content upgrade. Yep. One step at a time. Absolutely. You talked about webinars as a conversion mechanism like we would call that like potentially a sales conversion event on the back mm-hmm. end of the, um, you know, the, the content upgrade or the, the opt-in lead magnet. Right. Um, what, else, what do people do in a webinar? And then what else, <clears throat> you know, how else can you convert off the back end besides a webinar? What do people do in a webinar? Um, you, you can do, you can substitute out a mini course with a webinar. It's like a teach live, teach live for an teach hour. Teach live, right. Um, and it could be recorded. Yeah. Like it could be recorded webinar. Um, and, but you substitute out a mini course because a mini course is done on people's you know, independent time. A webinar is done when they're committed to you and you only. And so it's, it's, it, will, it will usually net out better results for you. Um, in, term, in terms of like, you know, other things, freemium usually works uh, well. You know, we, we find that with our WordPress plugin, freemium works really well, but that's more, more, more or less software. Um, but like, it doesn't have to be just software. Like if you look at Audible, like, you know, that's, they, they give you one free book, yeah. right? Um, you get one free book if you pay for the monthly membership. So you can add some kind of value add um, to your own membership to, to increase conversions there. And, you know, I'm sure Amazon has tried this, like, you know, with all sorts of things to make sure that, oh, we can say you can buy this book for like, you know, 18 bucks or 17 bucks, or you can, you know, get it for free with a monthly audible membership at this price point. Right. So I think, uh, doing that, so you, if, you know, the ebook that you were going to give away for free, which nobody was going to read now put a price tag on it and say, you get this ebook for free if you, um, you know, sign up for membership site. So that value add the bonuses, um, are going to improve your conversions in the back end. Awesome. And just uh, to clarify terms, you mentioned the word profit maximizer. What is right. that? Uh, profit maximizers are, are things that, you know, once, some, once you have hit the bottom of your funnel, right? Once, once somebody has bought your core product, whatever your membership site is, right? How do you make more money from this user? 
because you already have it, have the user right there, right? So it could be done through JV deals. It could be done through your own products. It could be done, you know, like affiliates thing. Like, let's say if um, if I have Optin Monster, for example, right? Somebody who buys Optin Monster basic, I can upsell them to, hey, maybe you want to buy Optin Monster Pro. And if I can segment the user that this pro user is actually an agency, I can say, hey, maybe you should buy Optin Monster Agency. But then I'm kind of done at the bottom of, uh, you know, people have bought my core product. So instead now I can say, well, if you really want to grow your traffic, you might need um, to consider using a tool like SEM Rush or ARFs. And I can either just give that as a value add or I can say, hey, buy ARFs, but um, I can do a deal with ARFs and they would pay me a commission or SEM Rush. But that, that, that's an example of a, of a profit maximizer um, in that end. Or, or I have WP Forms, right? Starts with the free version. You go, you upgrade, you buy the paid version, basic, you know, if you're basic, then I want you to come to pro. Once you buy pro, then I can say, well, actually, how, the hell, how do you know if, you're, um, if your forms are converting well? You need an, you need an analytic solution, right? And, and then I insert a cross-sell. After the core product, a cross-sell or upsell or a JV deal is basically maximizing your profit from this one user, increasing your um, lifetime value, you know, increasing your order value from that customer. That's really good. Well, let's uh, transition over to talking about uh, affiliate. And you mentioned the word JV, joint venture. What is the difference between joint venture and affiliate marketing? Um, affiliate is one-sided. Joint venture is two-sided. Um, so that's the easiest way to put it. So affiliate is like, you know, I, I, would, I can say, hey, promote my stuff and I'll pay you this commission. Joint venture deal is usually two-way. So I, I'm promoting your stuff and you're paying me and you're promoting my stuff and I'm paying you a commission. So it's some, it's some, that's, that's joint ventures two ways. That makes sense. And uh, if a course creator wants to get into affiliate marketing, mm-hmm. let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, <clears throat> at Lifter LMS, we have uh, compatibility with the popular affiliate WP plugin, another one called iDev Affiliate, another mm-hmm. system. Um, even selling the Lifter LMS software itself, we use something called ShareASell, which integrates mm-hmm. with WooCommerce, which is more of a complete affiliate platform. Uh, as opposed to more of just the affiliate management on the website. Mm. Can you describe the difference between a share a sale and an affiliate WP? Yeah. Um, one is way better. Uh, okay. And, and, and I would say that a hosted platform like a share sale or impact radius is way, way, way like leaps and bounds better than any hosted solution that you have, whether it be affiliate WP, whether it's affiliate Royale, whether it's IDEV affiliate, um, and for a wide variety of reasons. Number one, the tracking is, that's in place w- within ShareSale or Impact Radius is far superior than any tracking that you will get on your hosted server. Um, because uh, when, you, when you're self-hosting an affiliate program, your server isn't really meant for tracking. So it's easy to manipulate. You don't have the same level of fraud detection and things like this. So all you need is one bad affiliate who will completely destroy your monthly revenue for that month until you catch that, right? Once you start doing your month-end book, you know, like financial books, and then you're like, oh, what happened here? And then you start looking and digging deeper. And you're like, so-and-so affiliate con. Um, anyways, but the reason why I, I recommend ShareSale, I use ShareSale for our own products or Impact Radius is because these companies have mastered, you know, fraud detection. They're really, really, really good at it. 
But the other thing, from an entrepreneurial point of view, if, you, if you're a course creator, you don't have the time to you know, send out monthly payments to um, the people. You don't have the time to collect their tax information and then making sure that the, everybody who made more than $600 sending them a 1099. You know, that, that's, that's not what you're good at. You don't need to be doing that. I would much rather you know, pay share sale a very, very small fee and let them completely handle that. Um, and the, another benefit of these, you know, networks like ShareSale or Impact Radius is that they have a network of tens of thousands of affiliates, not hundreds of thousands of affiliates. So somebody else would like likely go in there. Like if I'm looking for a specific product in a security space, I'll just go in ShareSale and say security and look at, you know, which products are out there that have an affiliate program. And then I will go out and try those products and see which one I like. And then I can recommend that particular product to my audience because I'm like, hey, here's the three that I tried. I actually like this one since you guys asked for it. This, this is the one that's the better one. Um, so, so yeah. So like I almost never recommend Actually, not almost. I never, period, recommend anybody to use a self-hosted affiliate program. I would recommend that you use um, a hosted version like a share sale, like a platform, um, if you're serious about your business. Um, now, if you're not serious about your business, then, you know, do whatever you Don't do it. If you're not serious about your business, don't do it. <laughs> I got to say, we really like the hands-off approach that, share sale ha- that we have with share sale. We set it up. We make sure there's enough money in there. Auto deposits when yep. it gets low and it handles everything. I, I love that. Yeah. And you, and you know, one of the other crazy parts is that if, if, you, if you're like in Europe, if you're in the EU, um, you have like crazy requirements with VAT and all these things. So what, what I'm noticing now is, is like, you know, some of the companies, the EU ones that are they're using their own internal systems, mm-hmm. they are now requiring their affiliates to send them a manual invoice. So they send out an email to all affiliates. Hey, this was your, it's an automated email, right? It says, you, this was your commission. You need to send us an invoice um, with this payment information so that we can reimburse you. Because, you know, that's, that's the legal requirements over there. Like as a business owner, you don't want that. If you're in the EU, dude, get rid of that stuff and go move over to share sale and impact radius and let them do all that stuff. Right. You don't have to worry about this complete hassle free. That's awesome. And I need to geek out with you for a second as an affiliate guy and ask you a question that may not make sense if you're just a beginner out there listening, but bear mm-hmm. with us. It's, it's really not a, that crazy of a question, but I, I just want to make sure and make sure I understood it correctly with share sale. Mm-hmm. If I send an email on Monday and somebody else with my share sale affiliate link and, and somebody else says an email to the same person on Tuesday mm-hmm. with their share sale affiliate link. And that cust- that person ends up buying the thing. Is it the first person who gets the commission or the, the later person that gets the commission? Uh, you, have, you have the ability to actually configure that in your program. Okay. Um, you can choose first click and you can choose last click. Interesting. Um, what would yeah. be the, why would you choose one or the other? Industry standard is last click okay. um, and not first click because first click has a lot of room for game, uh, you know, abuse. So let's say, let's say that, you know, I run a very high traffic website. All I have to do is make like drop a cookie uh, with my affiliate link into every user that comes to my website with like a fake coupon or something like that. Not necessarily a coupon. Like all I, I could, uh, one, one example would be, I take your affiliate link, you know, let's say lift LMS, just hypothetically speaking. Um, I take the affiliate link and put it in my style sheet in style.css and make it look like as if it was an image asset. Right. Yeah. So everybody, everybody who comes on my website, 
obviously has to load a style.css file. I see. So it, it, will, it will never load, right? It will say that, that part is 404, but nobody sees that. It's, it's in the console, that error. Yeah. But, every, but that image, that page is being loaded for you. Um, and and you're, getting, you're getting that cookie. So now it looks like that I just dropped a cookie on like everybody who could potentially buy Lyft or LMS, right? Technically, <laughs> technically right. speaking. Um, and then the guy next, the, somebody more genuine went and sent out an email newsletter and, you know, talked all about all the benefits of Lyft or LMS and convinced the guy. Then the guy, the user went and out and bought it. But this guy who actually did the work for Lyft or LMS didn't really get the commission because some black hat guy did shenanigans like this, right? Um, actually, this, this, this happened um, in the earlier days uh, of the internet. And some of the people who did it, they were doing it with eBay affiliates, right? Oh. Um, and they were, they were making like millions of dollars a year. And then eBay caught on and they went to jail. Um, for this. So it's actually illegal to do. But that doesn't mean you know, shady people are not going to do it. That's why the industry kind of switched away from a first click to a last click because it's hard to um, do these kind of things, right? You, you can put something on like this, but it won't work. Um, so that's why the last click is a, is a more standard thing. Wow. Um, I appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely. <laughs> I've got some homework and something to check after this call. Um, let me ask you just some more rapid fire affiliate questions. <clears throat> If I have a course or my membership course bundles, uh, what, how do I set a affiliate commission? Should I do 50%? Should I do 30%? Should I do 20%? Should I do 60%? Like what, what am I supposed to do? I feel uh, like people pull it out of the air or they just hear something like really? you have to split it with the affiliate or whatever. Like how do you, what do you recommend? You know, it really depends on your <laughs> margins in your business and how, what you're comfortable with, Right. Um, typically on a, on an e-course where your cost of production is not a whole lot, um, you see the affiliate commissions to be in the higher, 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 like 50%. I consider 50% to be high, right? Um, so you have 50% commission happening on e-products, but you know, that doesn't mean you have to do it. Like, let's say you offer way more value on the back end, right? You have a Facebook group, um, and this and that, that you have to continue to like, you know, produce and you have employee costs, you have people costs, you have all, all, all this, you don't have to offer 50%. You can say, well, I'm going to offer 35%, right? Um, you can also do tier things. So you can say, well, we start off at 30%, but if you can send this kind of volume, then we'll give you 40%. If you get this volume, then you get 50%. If you get this volume, you get 60%. Um, and that happens all the time too. So like, you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. Uh, there's no right or wrong way. Uh, it it just depends on your particular business model, and are you looking at at a long term, or are you looking at you know just like right now, how can I get the most amount of money this week, right, or this month? You, you have to really think think through these things. You don't want to give somebody an eighty percent commission on your course, and then on the back end be the one fulfilling it for twenty percent of the money. You know, like it it doesn't make sense, um, at least from my point of view. Again, everybody has a different angle on their business. Um, I would not go above 50% um, as a starters. Um, usually keep it at 30%. I can bet you like a lot of people would promote your course at 30%. The same people who promote it 50% will promote it at 30%. Um, and those who wouldn't will ask you for it higher. Yeah, they and can, I, think, I think the next question too is 30% of what? Like, is it a $100 course or is it like a $2,000 program with coaching? Right. It all, there's all these variables that have to be. Taken. Absolutely. And, and like, you know, there, there are times like if the higher the ticket, you know, the, the higher, the lower the conversion is, 
right? Because it's a higher barrier of entry instead of paying 10 bucks, which nobody cares about. Um, and then paying two grand is, is, is a, it's a tougher sell. So a lot of times the higher end programs I've seen would offer, for, first of all, they don't have open affiliate programs. So a lot of the higher ticket programs, they don't have an open affiliate program. They would be like uh, application only or invite only, or what does that mean? Yeah. Application only or invite only. A lot of time, a lot of them only do invite only because they realize that like if, if any affiliate program, let's say you have like a thousand affiliates, only like 10 of them are actually performing like significantly the rest of 990 or, are like maybe making the 5% of sales or 10% of total sales. The top 10 are making the 10 are making 90% of the sale out of a thousand. Usually that's what happens. So then why do you want to bother with all these, right? You want to just like talk with these 10. So a lot of times the higher end affiliate, uh, higher end affiliate, higher end courses only have invite only affiliates, um, that they're likely their friends, et cetera, or their JV partners and they do 50%. So like there's a course for two grand, um, the partner's going to get a grand on that. Um, so yeah, some, some of the folks, uh, on the entry level, would even give 90%. So that's, I've also, I've seen 90%, 100% of the course being given away. Um, so like, let's say if you, if you make a sale of a nine, my $9 tripwire, I'll give you $9 for the sale. But I have the prospect in my funnel now. So exactly, exactly. So you have to, you have to do the math, right? You're like, okay, I, I can sell them, you know, after $9, I can tell them a $200 course. And I know X percentage will go through it and I don't have to pay them a, 50% commission on 200, right? Now $9 looks very cheap because you just paid them 5%. CPA. Yeah. <laughs> does now, that make sense? It does. <laughs> if you want to be really scientific about it, you need to know your numbers and know your Absolutely. conversion rates, which is where something like um, Monster Insights comes in. Absolutely. Um, well, let's imagine a sample user. Let's say I, I published a book and some small niche. It's not like a New York Times bestseller, but I've got my book. I decide I want to get into online courses. I create video lessons around the concepts in my book. Um, and I create like a $300 course. And then I have an upsell to $1,000 with a you know, 30-day coaching program plus the course. Hmm. Um, I do my best to hustle and scratch and find out my initial customers. How do I... If I think I want to explore affiliate marketing as a channel, what should I do? Like, how do I recruit my first affiliates? Where do I go find them? Look at the people who are writing about the same um, concept. Who has the same audience that you have? And, and you want to approach those people. A lot of times, you know, if they're any, any big, they're not going to listen to anything that you're saying because, you know, it's a one-way relationship. So you have to add value first before you can expect something in return. Um, you know, if you go to somebody who has like uh, millions and millions of users, likely you're not the only person reaching out to them. Uh, so that's the challenging part uh, there. But, you know, if you have really good message and you have an audience and you can, you know, you can add value to uh, influencers then absolutely go about, go about doing that. But the strategy is fairly simple. You look at, you know, who has your audience and that's going to be your affiliate. Um, and you can look at, you can look at uh, keywords and that's another strategy that, uh, that different industries use is like, okay, who ranks for these particular keywords? Um, and then you go about seeing, Hey, does this, is this guy promoting anything? Uh, you know, if they're not, then you're like, Hey, I noticed you have this blog post on, uh, you know, how to 
how, how to like, you know, lose weight or something like this. And you're like, I noticed you're not promoting anything. I wrote this ebook and I think it would be immensely valuable to your users. How, you know, can, would you be open to a, a partnership deal where, you know, you can check it out if you like it and, you know, you can recommend it and I'll give you like 80% of the sale or something like this. Um, again, this considering that this is your, you know, entry level offer, can you have a thousand dollar course at the back end? 80% of, of like a $20 thing is nothing because you're selling a thousand dollar lead on the back end. So that's awesome. So the big takeaway there, I think, is <clears throat> if you build it, they will not come. <laughs> it, you need to do some work to go get some affiliates. You need to do some Absolutely. call to emails. You need to add value, do just, you know, work for it a little bit. They're Absolutely. not going to show up. I mean, your initial customers might be interested in promoting your product, but if they're not really content creators or trained in what affiliate is all about, it's not really the best play. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you people should use a tool called Bussumo, right? Um, you go in Bussumo, you type a keyword. Let's say you are, you're writing all about social media. You go in Bussumo, you write social media and it will show you the most shared articles about social media. And then you open those articles, see who wrote them, like start following them on Twitter, start following them on Facebook, right? Engaging with their community, building that rapport. Um, it's hard work, right? That's why not everybody can do it, right? I think everybody can do it. Not everybody does it, right? Because it is, it is, it is, it is work. Um, if you're looking for a quick win, well, this ain't it. But if you're going to do the work, then this is going to give you like a lot of benefits over, over time. Excellent. Well, let's shift gears. Before we part today, I wanted to uh, just talk to you a little bit about pop-ups and opt-ins. And Optin Monster, your product has been a big part of our business at Lifter LMS for various things. If people are leaving, it's capturing uh, a last-minute chance for them to ask a question. Uh, it's allowing us to identify some of the, the people that are using our free product. Uh, we have lead magnets and content upgrades that funnel through it. Um, we do different things with it. But uh, I, I think it was maybe about a year ago, I heard that pop-ups were, you were going to get penalized from an SEO perspective or something. I pretty much just ignored it and kept doing what I'm doing and I've had no impact of that statement. So first, I'd like you to speak to that news for people who are concerned about using pop-ups for SEO. And then I've right. got some more questions. Right. So uh, at Optin Monster, our goal is to you know, help business owners convert abandoning website visitors into uh, subscribers and then shortly after customers. Um, and the problem is, you know, real for not just you and me or any small business, but it's real for even the larger business owners um, because 70 to 80% of the users that come to your website n never come back. Like once they leave, they never come back. You go on your Google Analytics, you'll see this chart that says 80% new users and 20% returning or 70% new users and 30% returning, right? So, so that speak for themselves. Um, so that's, that's what Optin Monster uh, tries to solve. In terms of the Google penalty, I actually wrote a several thousand word piece, um, like a blog post on Optin Monster blog. The answer is having a pop-up does not get you a penalty. Uh, number one, that penalty is for mobile only. It's not for desktop. Um, it, what they're trying to prevent Here's what here's you have to you have to really understand what Google is trying to do. Um, what Google is trying to prevent is things that Pinterest was doing, things that LinkedIn was doing, things that Forbes were doing. And I, what what they were doing was if if you clicked on a Forbes article, you don't actually get to the article. You get to a uh, interstitial page with a 
some motivational quote in an ad this big and you have to click on a button, continue, and accidentally you're going to click on that ad, right? And Forbes will make money. That's a terrible user experience, right? That's what Google is trying to avoid. Or if you wanted to look at somebody's LinkedIn profile, you clicked on a LinkedIn link, but instead you got, hey, download my app. And there's no way for you to skip it except for that very tiny little link. And you try to click on that, but instead you get go to the Google Play Store or the I, you know, App Store in, in your iOS um, where you're forced to download an app. That's what Google was trying to avoid. And so, so the, the wording, the very, very wording on that was they were going after interstitials. Okay. Interstitials are, are things that show up that prevents you from getting to where you were going. So really, zero-second pop-ups are, um, are the ones they were going after. If you have a zero-second pop-up, I think you shouldn't have it. Like, you know, we don't, we never recommend that. Um, we have an option that you can put it zero-second, but we never, ever recommend that. Um, so that's, the, that's, that's number one. Uh, number two, Google had, like, you know, sev- several different things that they were talking about. You're like, well, we would re- prefer that you don't have a pop-up, but you can have like a bar, a floating bar or a scroll box. One of the, one of the beautiful part about Optin Monster is from the very first day that we launched it in, uh, in 2013, we kept our pop-ups, desktop and mobile, completely separate because I understood that, you know, the experience on mobile is completely different than experience on desktop. And in 2013, the mobile usage wasn't as high as it is today in 2017. But even back then, we're like, okay, we care about user experience. So you, if you wanted to put a pop-up on mobile, you had to create a separate one. Um, and so in, now in Optin Monster, you can select where your pop-up shows. So if you're more cautious, you can say, well, don't show any pop-ups on, um, on mobile. A lot of people are doing that. A lot of our users are doing that. Um, some of the ones are saying, well, actually, I don't want to show the pop-up on the, on the page they land. But if the user goes to the next page, then show the pop-up completely fair game. Um, other folks are saying, well, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to show pop-up anyways. And we haven't seen any complaints there either. Again, because you're not showing interstitials. Some folks are saying, well, I'm going to use a scroll trigger. So I'm only going to show a pop-up once the user have scrolled on the mobile, like 70% of the screen side. Then at that point, the user has spent enough time on your website that you, know, you, can, you can prompt them for an action. Um, on desktop, you have you have nothing to worry about. But again, I always recommend against using zero second pop up because it will it will increase your bounce rate. You're gonna lose that user. So I recommend using multiple triggers, primarily exit intent. If you're not doing anything, use exit intent. That that thing just works. Um, if you're if you want to get more sophisticated, you can combine scroll trigger and exit intent. Monster links work really, really well, which is a pop-up that only shows up if the user clicks on a link or an image, right? So things like that, those are always going to work for you and there's no penalty for that. That's awesome. <clears throat> and exit intent is, you know, that's a really great, I'm not sure where or how you came up with the idea, but um, <clears throat> the goal like with us, with our website, when we use exit intent, we're not trying to annoy people. We're just giving them one last opportunity. Hey, before you go, do you have any questions? Can I help you with anything? You know, perhaps you didn't find what you were looking for. Can I, can I help? That's the, that's the purpose of the pop-up. Right. Um, so the idea came when somebody comes to your house um, for dinner, right? And you have a great time. You, and then when they're leaving, you're like, hey, come back and see us again, right? Uh, we'd love to, would love to have, see you guys again um, soon. And then the person says, absolutely, right? 
that's the way that's 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 where the idea kind of came from it's like okay what if i could do that like you know i i believe that people that come to our, our website i hope that they're having this that kind of experience they're enjoying it they're finding it useful so when they're leaving i can say hey um can i can i stay in touch with you um and i think that that, that was the motivation behind the exit intent concept um in the past like you know pop-ups were very time driven you know you showed it five seconds or 10 seconds or 30 seconds and i was using those you know old pop-up scripts and people on my websites would get annoyed I'm like wouldn't it be nice if i can just like not interrupt the user behavior of what they were doing and only show it when they were leaving boom that's it. and that was it that's awesome well that was a gold mine of information I really want to thank you, Syed, for coming on the show. You've shared so much amazing stuff with us. I'd encourage any of you listening to go check out Optin Monster uh, and Syed's other properties and products, WP Beginner, Enviro Gallery, Monster Insights, WP Forms, Soliloquy, and List25. Uh, if you want to get into a little bit more of Syed's story, I'd encourage you to check out a podcast he was on uh, with Johnny Naster called Hack the Entrepreneur. That was a, a great interview of Syed as well. Um, Syed's also fun to follow on Twitter. So check him out there at Syed Balki. And uh, anywhere else you want to send the listener, Syed? I don't know, man. There's a lot of places you can yeah. send people. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your insights with us. If those of you listening out there kind of have your mind blown, I'd get, I just encourage you to just hit rewind or listen to this again, grab a pen and paper and grab some notes because I guarantee there's some action items in there for you to take action on. Anytime I see Syed give a talk, I have a notebook and then it takes, you know, it doesn't necessarily take long, but to implement the, some of the things I've learned um, and they consistently deliver results. So thanks, Syed. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris.